Sometimes I find it difficult to speak into the silence, which um, is very palpable in, in this hall at the moment. It almost feels like um, I need to ask permission of the silence to, to disturb it. So over the last couple of days, we've been looking particularly at the transitory aspect of experience, both through focusing directly on it, seeing our experience as anicca, as impermanence, as transitory. And also today, through focusing on the fact that because of this impermanence, because of this transitory nature, nothing can give us lasting satisfaction, lasting happiness. And just to be really clear, this doesn't mean that we cannot enjoy It doesn't mean that we cannot experience pleasure. Actually, sometimes it can mean quite the opposite of that. It just means that this pleasure, this happiness, that something, an object, a mind state, a weather formation whatever pleasure or happiness there is, is is not going to last. It's not permanent also. And so if we cling to it, if we start to build on those foundations, build our happiness, our idea of our happiness on those foundations, then dukkha is pretty guaranteed. Does that make sense to people? Yeah. So the dukkha, because it is impermanent, dukkha, because it is transitory. Yeah. Not it is dukkha. Yeah. But dukkha because of that. Because it's going to change. And it's worth reflecting, um, you know, after a couple of days of kind of playing with this in different ways, yeah, like two different flavors of the practice. Um, It can be just worth reflecting a little bit about um, how has that been? Now, how is it for me? You know, either, you know, some people have really engaged with this as a practice. You know, for others, it may have not resonated so much, but it's certainly been there in the atmosphere yeah, and in the teachings. So how has that been? To actually open to the uncertainty of the human condition, 
Yeah. The unknowability. That's a word I probably just made up. Of the human condition. Now, how is it to open to that? And to reflect, particularly if through this way of looking, have we had moments of beauty, of release or relief, even if they've been very brief, very transitory. (laughs) Inside joke. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Yeah. Have they been there? Yeah. Just to, so just to kind of reflect on that a little bit from that, with that sense, with that feeling, with that kind of inquiry. And so this, these practices are very much about giving us a taste of um, this shift that we've been speaking about um, through the days. A shift that we can make from trying to um, organize the conditions of our life in a way that will give happiness, ideally lasting happiness. So making the shift from, from that, from trying to kind of organize the conditions to actually um, putting our energy into our relationship. Yeah, our relationship with conditions, our relationships, our relationship with events, our relationship with the components that make up our life. So instead of, you know, constantly, which is what we do, it's one of the things we see, yeah, about ourselves when we're when we're practicing like this. Instead of constantly trying to um, get more of what we like and less of what we don't like to actually open to the flow of causes and conditions coming together and changing. Sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly, but coming together and changing. So this evening I'd like to look more at these practices, these ways of looking practices, and um, to look more at the impact that they may be having or they could have on our experience, and also to look at what they reveal, what they uncover. And... When I'm, I'm putting into this basket of ways of looking or insight practices, um, not just the um, Anicca and Dukkha Anicca practice that we're doing yesterday and today, but also the Vedana practice and also the Metta practice. Yeah. They're all practices, um, they're all ways of looking that we can bring into the way we relate to experience. Yeah. So Metta in particular, kind of straddles both samatha practice, practice that helps collect and gather and bring a sense of well-being, and also is a, a cultivation practice of cultivating a way of looking and relating to experience, also an insight practice. And what all of these practices do, 
And hopefully this, this will be clear um, through this talk. What they all do is that they um, release some of the clinging and the craving in our relationship to things. So they release the clinging and the craving. They reduce the contraction, which comes with the clinging and the craving. And then they reduce the dukkha in the experience as well. And so another way of saying that is they kind of bring ease and openness. They open up the possibilities. They they open up the, um, the view. They open up the vista. And this easing of contraction, easing of clinging, and opening out to a wider view, this feels good to us, yeah, to some degree at least, yeah. There's often a sense of ease, of relief that comes with that to some degree. And that's part, a big part of the reason why we've been encouraging you to, you know, apply the practices, explore the practices, and also notice what the effect of a practice is. Yeah. Because we're interested to also notice that sense of release, relief, space, openness. Yeah, we're interested to see that. Both because that then supports us in the practice, yeah, it helps absorb the insight, yeah, it becomes a deeper experiential understanding. Ah, fabricating less, which is another thing that these practices do, actually feels good. It feels good. So that's one reason. And the other is that it deepens the insight, yeah, because you know, we can look and see, what does this mean? Yeah. If looking and seeing impermanence, if bringing an attitude of metta, if reducing clinging and con- contraction, if that actually feels good, what does that mean about how we operate and what is possible for us? <coughs> And so really um, kind of bringing that even more to the fore. As we practice, you know, we can, we can really check in with the body. Is there more ease in the body? Yeah. Is there a release and contraction? Is there a sense of more openness in what we're call, or flow in what we're calling the energy body? Yeah, not just the physical body, but also a, a kind of another sense that we can have through the body of kind of more subtle a more subtle life that's going on. So I want to kind of give an example for this. You may have realized I like examples. Um, It's probably because I need them (laughs) myself. So, you know, you're being subjected to examples because that's the way my mind works. So 
you know, say we're, you know, having one of the incredible tasty meals that we've been offering, they've been offered here um, by, by Linda and Simon. And, you know, we're, we're sitting there and, you know, we're just, just one mouthful. Yeah, it goes in, in the mouth. And it's really, really tasty. And we really kind of really feel um, the tastiness of that mouthful. If I relate to that tasty mouthful in, in my habitual way, which is our tasty mouthful, it's going to be here, you know, it's going to last. Um, what's going to happen from that? Yeah, that's the habitual. I'll notice it for maybe a millisecond, yeah? And then kind of, because it's going to be there forever, I'll just kind of let the mind wander off to something else, yeah? Because, you know, tasty mouthful is going to be there. That tastiness is going to be there. So, you know, there's no no need to pay attention. Um, And, you know, it'll go off either to something completely unrelated or um, most likely, particularly if it's near the beginning of the meal um, and we have a certain temperament, it'll go to the next mouthful. Yeah, or the next plateful, or, you know, whatever, you know, or how I'm going to cook exactly the same thing when I go back home or whatever um, our, our mind tends to do. Yeah. So we'll, we'll actually, lo- we're losing the contact and we're losing the experience. Yeah. In the moment. And, you know, it, it is really interesting, you know, how... How many mouthfuls have we ever actually stayed present with in our life? And we, you know, we've had a lot of mouthfuls by now. But we don't. Yeah? Partly because we think that's going to be there. Yeah? So that's one level of dukkha that, we can, that, that is there. Yeah? We're actually disconnecting from the experience in the moment. A pleasant experience. Because we're seeing it as... It's going to last. Yeah. We also, a lot of the time, to some degree, um, placing our happiness on that taste experience. Yeah. On the next mouthful, on the next plateful. Yeah. And yet, that tastiness is going to change. Yeah. If we stay present to it, it will change within that mouthful. Yeah. Become slush with very little flavor. But even if we don't stay present, yeah, we're going to get full at some point, yeah, or the food's going to run out. Yeah. Something's going to happen. It's not permanent. And at that point, yeah, at that point, when you know the mouthful goes from pleasant to unpleasant, or uh, when the food runs out. <laughs> on my plate, if my happiness was dependent on that, even to a very minor degree, there will be dukkha. Okay. Does, that expi- that, that, does that make sense as an example? If I look at it from the lens of impermanence, this is impermanent, yeah. I can really open and feel and experience the joy of that taste sensation. Yeah. And stay open as it changes, yeah? Because I know it's going to pass and something else will come, yeah? Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. The flow of conditions is going to, is going to flow through, is going to move through, 
And I'm kind of open and flowing with that. When I was reflecting on this earlier, it felt like the image that was coming to me was it's like walking more lightly. Yeah, when we see the transitoriness of experience and when we see the way we um, kind of attach this expectation of happiness to things that are changing, when we see that and we can relax that contraction, we can relax that clinging, it's as if we're walking more lightly through our lives. Yeah? Walking more lightly through our lives. So there's that kind of like, a bit like moonwalking. <laughs> if you believe in the moon landings or not, those, those, um, that footage is, is fantastic, right? Of someone walking on the moon like that, you know? If that can you, walking through life like that. Yeah. With just that kind of buoyancy and lightness and flow. So one of my favorite quotes which relates to this is by um, Joseph Goldstein, American teacher in our tradition. And he was, um, you know, he's been practicing for, I think he started in the 70s, so that's a really long time, isn't it? (laughs) And teaching for probably about 40 years. And um, he was asked in an interview by, um, by somebody, um, you know, so after all these decades of practice, um, what, what do you feel has been the, the impact? What do you feel has been the fruit of your practice? And, you know, you kind of get a sense in the way the question is being asked um, that the expectation is that, you know, he'll come up, come out with something like really like grandiose, you know, like some fantastic states that he's achieved or you know, some kind of huge old patterns that he's gotten rid of, I don't know what, you know, something really like... And, um, and his response is, you know, he takes, he's a very um, considered person, it's lovely to listen to, so he takes a moment to, to kind of ponder, and then he says back, and uh, he says, ah, oh, I take myself less seriously... Yeah, that's the fruit of the practice. I take myself less seriously. And the people around me really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I really love that. I feel like that's it's such a deep teaching. And it really connects, like, for me, within the feeling without moonwalking <laughs> sense. I just I take myself less seriously. And what kind of impact does that have on my own experience and, and how, um, how I impact others? Yeah, how I impact others, what impact that has on others. So he's pointing to, to two things that I feel like we've, we've touched on quite a lot, but I just want to keep pulling them out, yeah? Pointing to two things. Um, the first is that what 
we perceive and how we experience life is impacted by the state of our mind. Yes, I take myself less seriously. Yeah, through the practice, through cultivating these ways of looking. Yeah, I take myself less seriously. And we know that, yeah, we know that from our own experience. When the state of the mind um, is contracted, yeah, is tense, then life looks a certain way. And when the mind is relaxed and uncontracted, then life looks a different way. Yeah, and I think I've, I'm sure I've said it at least once before, giving this example. But we really, like, we really know it from our own experience. So this is one really um, important kind of point to draw out. And the second thing is that the mind is pliable and flexible. Yeah. So taking myself less seriously as an attitude. Yeah, I can bring that in. It comes up because it's been nourished yeah, through practice. I take myself less seriously. The mind is pliable and flexible. It's not fixed. Yeah, it's not fixed. And through practice, we increase this pliability and flexibility. Yeah, we increase it. That's one of the things that meditation does. The mind becomes more flexible, more pliable, has more possibilities, more options. And we also cultivate particular ways of looking that bring more well-being and a decrease in suffering. So it's helpful to keep this in mind because we all have habitual states of mind. Yeah? Places that the mind will go into on automatic pilot. Yeah? This is true for all of us. Yeah? And if we remember that, then we know, for example, oh, I'm tired. You know, I know for myself, I'm tired. I'm likely to be irritable. Yeah? If I'm tired. The body will affect the mind in this way. That'll be the, where, the, where the mind will go to. That's its automatic setting. So if I know that, I can, be, I can take more care. Yeah, I can bring more awareness. I can bring more kindness. I can take things more slowly. Yeah. I can attend And I can prioritize helpful attitudes, helpful ways of looking that I know can help, yeah, like slowing down, like kindness. Yeah, I can prioritize that. So this kind of aspect of practice um, is often called cultivation. And I'd like to look a little bit more at this cultivation of ways of looking that are supportive, that are nourishing, that are helpful, um, and what their impact is. And I'd like to look at it, I'm going to use metta as an example, but it's, it's an example for all of them. And when I'm speaking about metta here, I want to make a distinction between metta 
as the formal practice, yeah, like we've been doing here with the phrases, and a metta attitude. Yeah. So an attitude of welcoming, an attitude of kindness, an attitude of friendliness, an attitude of goodwill. So not just the formal practice, but actually the attitude. And I think we've been touching um, today and a couple of days ago on bringing that into the practice as an attitude. So meta way of looking towards experience. So this attitude for most of us, yeah, this attitude of welcoming, this attitude of openness, of friendliness, for most of us it feels good. And good, not necessarily good as in pleasant, but good as in good for us. Yeah, wholesome. I was going to say like broccoli, but um, might not be a good example. I tend to love broccoli. But, you know, something that feels um, like being in nature, that's a good example. Yeah, something that's good for us, or exercising the body. Yeah, it's got that sense of this is good for us. It feels good because it's wholesome, it's healthy, it's nourishing. And it can feel like a tuning in to a beneficial frequency, you know, so if we're plugging in or tuning in to something that is wholesome, beneficial, helpful, nourishing. And this frequency is about the expansion of concern from very narrow to wider. Yeah, so not looking at, for example, just what I want right now, but actually what's good for me. Yeah. And they're not looking at just what's good for me, but at what's good for us. And that us can expand. You know, who's this us? Yeah. Me and my partner, me and my friend, me and my family, me and my country, me and all of humanity, me and the whole planet, you know, can keep expanding. That sense of concern. And this expansion and openness also feels good. Yeah, it's a loosening of contraction from just self-concern to wider and wider circles of concern and of care. And it's actually this openness, this expansion of, of care, it's actually a human need. Yeah, it's actually a human need. Caring for others. I remember when I was a student um, learning about this um, experiment that they did with um, people living in sheltered housing, um, especially elderly. And um, they did this experiment where they gave older people in, in, um, in, in homes or in sheltered housing, they gave them a potted plant that they had to water and look after. And um, they measured both their physical and mental well-being over a period, I think, of months or years. Yeah? And there was a marked increase yeah, in physical and mental well-being, both in comparison to themselves at the starting point in comparison to a control group without 
the potted plant. Yeah, so it's it really, you know, and, and of course it makes sense to us, yeah? It's a human need to, to care, to nurture, to, be, to have a sense of, um, it's kind of a, the word I want to, uh, that's coming up, to have a sense of belonging that's be, beyond just me and mine. Yeah, beyond the immediate me and mine. So it's interesting that as that narrowness of what we consider our area of concern and care, yeah, as that shifts from, or we can say the sense of self shifts, from just me and mine to wider and wider and wider. There's less contraction, there's more well-being. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to, to, to see. Is this clear? Yeah. Either it's clear or you're completely confused. <laughs> Sometimes it's difficult to know. If, we've managed to, if I've managed to confuse people so much, they can't even say that it, they're confused. So, yeah. So this is one interesting thing to see about metta, to see about this attitude of openness and care and welcoming. We've also been touching on, and this is something that um, you can experiment with more, of bringing the attitude of metta towards unpleasant experiences, particularly body sensations. I mean, any sensations, but particularly it can be interesting when we bring metta to unpleasant sensations in the body. And important to say that we do that not as a strategy so that the pleasantness goes away or that pleasant sensation goes away, um, but we're doing that because we're interested in the shift, a shift in the relationship. Remember I said that pretty early on in the talk. I've said so much since then that you probably forgot, which is utterly understandable. But we're interested in the shift, a shift in the relationship. So what happens when we bring an attitude of metta, of welcoming, of allowing, of goodwill, to a sensation in the body which is painful or unpleasant. Sometimes, when we do that, the experience changes. Yeah? So there's unpleasant sensation in the body, bring matter to that experience, that sensation. The unpleasantness of the sensation might still be there, but the problematic in the relationship changes. And so the experience can change. And sometimes the sensation itself changes. Yeah, the sensation itself changes. So what's going on? Yeah, that's quite a lot to kind of take in. But what's going on there? So I'm going to break it down. Unpleasant sensation in the body. It has a Vedana. Right? Everything has a Vedana. Unpleasant sensation, what would the Vedana be? Hmm? Yeah, unpleasant, yeah. 
unpleasant sensation perceived as unpleasant, yeah, unpleasant Vedana, or categorized. If we're not staying with the Vedana, it will escalate, right? The unpleasant Vedana will escalate, yeah, it will build up, yeah, it will build up into craving and clinging, yeah, which with an unpleasant will be pushing away, yeah. I want to get rid of this, yeah, pushing away the unpleasant. This craving and clinging arise with a contraction, yeah, so there's the pushing away and that pushing away comes with a contraction in the body or in the mind or in both, yeah, there'll be a contraction and if by any chance you remember the first talk on this retreat that Nathan gave, the contraction and the clinging are dukkha. Yeah? They're not separate. So that contraction, that clinging and craving come with dukkha. They arise together. And the more clinging and craving, the more contraction, the more dukkha. And this is really something to, if you're interested, to look at in your experience. They arise together and they're dependent on each other, dependently arising. When one is there, the others will be there. Yeah. If contraction is there, craving will be there. If craving is there, dukkha will be there. If dukkha is there, craving and contraction will be there. They arise together. And with them arises the sense of self the fourth member of the party. <laughs> yeah. With them arises the sense of self. And we can see that yeah, when we're having an intensely unpleasant experience. What is the sense of I, me, and mine? Is it very quiet or very loud? Just reflect on your own experience. Yeah. When we're very relaxed, yeah, maybe we're having a cup of tea in a beautiful spot somewhere here in the sunshine, and we're feeling very relaxed, very open, very at ease. Is the sense of self loud and strong and prominent? Or is it quiet and expansive and difficult to find? Yeah, so... That's the fluctuations of the self. And the more the clinging intensifies, the stronger the sense of self, the stronger the dukkha, the stronger the contraction. And if one of them eases down, so do the others. Yeah, They arise together, dependently arising. So back to the unpleasant sensation. Yeah. And bringing metta to it. So what happens there? Yeah, and this is something we're going to explore more over the next days. When I change the relationship, yeah, so I relax, I change the relationship, instead of pushing away, yeah, instead of pushing away or grasping after something else, yeah, I'm welcoming or... Um, not escalating by staying with the Vedana or looking at the impermanence 
which again stops the escalation. Yeah. And all of these relax the contraction, relax the sense of, you know, I need this to, get, to, to go away. Yeah, the pushing away. Relax the clinging, relax the contraction, and the dukkha goes down. And sometimes the dukkha disappears completely, and sometimes the sensation disappears completely, which is a whole other thing for our minds to kind of wander at. (laughs) But it can happen. Yeah, it can happen. So, gosh, this is a long talk. Um, Thanks for bearing with me. So, dukkha... And again, we've been saying this, but can't say it enough. Dukkha is not in the object. The object may be unpleasant, but the dukkha, the suffering, is not in the object. It's in the relationship. It's in the relationship. This doesn't mean that the pain, this is really important, okay? So if you haven't listened so far, listen to this. (laughs) It doesn't mean that the pain we experience is not real. Yeah, it's not what we're saying doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean I'm making it up. It doesn't mean it's my fault. Yeah? That's not what it means. Yeah? It can easily sound like that. That's why I'm saying this like five times already. <laughs> it's not what it means. It doesn't, it's not that it's not real, but it's not real in the way we take it to be. Yeah? It's not real in the way we take it to be. It's not permanent. Yeah? It's changing and it's conditioned. Changing and conditioned. And so it's not independent also of how we're relating to it. Because often, most of the time, the way we're relating is adding layers of dukkha to the experience or the pain. Yes, adding layers. And they've done, again, with the research, um, some research on some types of chronic pain. And... This contraction that I've been talking about, it happens um, on the physical level in the body around pain. So there'll be pain, you know, some tensing of muscles or um, some inflammation or something in the body. And then the body contracts around that. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a instinctive thing the body does as if by contracting it's going to isolate that area. Oh, I don't know what the thinking is behind that thing. Sorry? Yeah, it's a protective, definitely a defense. And in some types of chronic pain, they've managed to um, actually kind of look into it and see that 70% of the pain that people are experiencing is to do with that contraction, yeah? Rather than the original, whatever it was, tensing of the muscles, inflammation, um, you know, original physical thing. So... The contraction around on the physical level. And then, of course, as we know as human beings, then there's a contraction of the mind, the way we relate to it, which adds more layers of suffering to the experience. So, through learning, yeah, to change the relationship, we can ease these layers of contraction in the mind and in the body. We can ease the clinging and we can reduce the dukkha. Yeah? Even if the actual sensations, the actual happening in the body doesn't change as a, rela- as, as a result. 
with the suffering can, can decrease or dissolve. And everything that I've said, this whole chain of um, unfolding that I've described is equally true of the pleasant. Yeah, it's easier for many of us to see it with the unpleasant, which is why I've given an example of an unpleasant. But it's equally true of the pleasant. Yeah, we'll experience something pleasant. Yeah, the sun on our on our skin. Yeah, it'll have a pleasant vedana. And the, from the pleasant vedana, there'll be an escalation. The escalation into trying to hold on to that, yeah, and that will be clinging, craving, and arise with contraction. Yeah, and with a contraction, there'll be dukkha. Yeah, which is can feel much more subtle in the moment. Yeah, but that's what leads to, you know, the clouds come or the wind comes. Yeah, and it's, oh, we flop down. And that potential is already there during the pleasant. So we need to... Ooh, that's strong language. Anyway, we need to, we need to pay attention <laughs> to our experience in order to see this. Yeah, we can't see this if we don't pay attention. Yeah, we can't see this if we don't play with experience in the way we've been doing. Yeah. So we need to see this in order to, we need to pay attention in order to see this and to taste it for ourselves, yeah, because we can understand and agree, yeah, intellectually, which is important, yeah, it's, it's a big, uh, big part of our understanding, but we need to see it experientially for ourselves, to taste it, yeah, to really taste it for ourselves. Um, and to see what happens, yeah, what happens when I apply a different way of looking that I'm not used to applying, that goes against the habits, that goes against um, the views and opinion and, and assumptions that we have. And we need to take time to feel the joy, the release and the freedom that comes, even if it's just for a moment, yeah, because that helps integrate the understanding and integrate the insight. And then we need to repeat it, need again. <laughs> It's part of the learning, yeah? We need to repeat it. It's not, you know, often we think, oh, I've seen this, I've had this amazing insight, that's it, yeah? I can walk out of here right now and I'm done, yeah? It doesn't, it doesn't work that way, <laughs> yeah? Which is why it's helpful, you know, when we can enjoy practice to some degree, yeah? Because we need to come back and look again and again and repeat, Yeah? And every time it's different, yeah, it's part of the beauty. It's not exactly the same. But as we, as we taste it again and again, the understanding deepens. So ways of looking change experience in the moment, yeah, and they also reveal a world, yeah, reveal experience as more intricate and more interconnected than we take it to be which is deeply beautiful and deeply nourishing and leads to a great increase in our own well-being and also in the well-being of others. Yeah, whatever we're doing here, yeah, which can seem such a solitary quest and journey, whatever we're doing here, whatever we're seeing here affects our own well-being, but it also affects the well-being of others because we're not separate 
Yeah? We are not separate. So whatever happens in us and to us affects the world we live in. So I want to end with um, a little story which hopefully you have energy for and um, hopefully we'll, we'll make this a little bit clearer, I hope. So this story is from, um, from the leprosy community that we spend time in um, and a few people here have been there with us. Um, and so we, for the last almost 15 years, we've spent about a month a year in a leprosy community in central India um, doing our work and meditation retreat. And for many years, I don't remember exactly how, how many, um, some of the work we do is, with, um, is in the old people's home in the community. And it's been quite a journey of uh, finding the way in, in this environment of kind of actually what can we do? How can we be su- of support? How can we be of, of help? And um, so initially we would just kind of turn up <laughs> and, uh, with some bottles of oil and uh, hope that someone would be willing to receive a massage from us. Um, and then over the years it's really kind of taken you know, take, has a lot of momentum and um, nowadays, you know, the, they, um, they wait for us to come, you know, so it's the best three, we spend three weeks working in the community and it's the best three weeks of the year. And last year we came in January instead of December and we were scolded mm-hmm. terribly for that misdemeanor <laughs> when we arrived. Anyway, so it's, you know, for me, this is a story about me. Um, it's been interesting to reflect and just to see how from the not knowing, from the just showing up, there was a sense of, I go there and I brush the old lady's hair and I, you know, massage some of the ladies and some of the gentlemen that are there. Um, And it's kind of, you know, it's what I do. It's what I go there for. Yeah. And a lot of teachings, of course. And in the last retreat in January, um, I was getting sick. So, you know, I had a headache and I was feeling really fluey and my body was achy. Um, But, you know, it was like I couldn't, you know, I'd never missed a day's work there (laughs) and I couldn't conceive of not going. Um, So I kind of, but I thought, no, I haven't got the strength at all to engage with these very lively ladies and uh, massage their bodies to the very intense degree they like to be rubbed and pummeled um like I you know no way I haven't got the energy for that at all um but I still really wanted to go I couldn't quite give up on going so I thought okay I'll go Uh, I'll go late and I'll just kind of do some organizing of things that need to be organized I won't actually kind of do any body work um with, with anyone um, so you know there when you know but still with that very much of a sense of I need to go there and be useful yeah that's that's the way of looking that was present yeah I need to go there and I need to be useful that's the that was the, the way of looking um, 
and so I went and, and I kind of was pottering around doing my organizing of bits and pieces and I could see from the corner of my eye one of the ladies really kind of motioning me to come over to, to her um, and she finds it quite difficult to move around so she was on her bed um, and I was like, oh no, you know she's going to want me to massage her and I won't be able to do it and how will I explain that I can't and oh, it's going to be, you know, and she always you know, wants something and so I was kind of trying to ignore her and do other things, you know, because of course I need to, you know, the way of looking is I'm here to be useful yeah, but, you know I can't do this. It's another way of looking that was present. But eventually I couldn't ignore her anymore. <laughs> and so I went, went over. Um, and I could feel um, guilt. And I could feel anxiety um, about what was going to, to unfold. Um, and, you know, maybe shame, you know, because here I am, I've just got flu and they're living with, you know, all this really, you know, ongoing pain and, and physical impairment and you know, all of that in there. And so she motioned me over and I, I came over and then she was looking at me and she said one word um, which I could understand, which was the word for sick. So she had understood from the other people in the group that I was sick, which is why I came late, yeah. And I nodded, yeah, sick. And she was kind of gesturing, like, what hurts, you know, where, what. And I kind of pointed to my head, yeah. And she rummaged in her belongings on the bed. And she pulled out this little, tiny little jar. And she opened it. And there was some kind of tiger balmish type ointment in there and she motioned to me to lean down yeah she was sitting on a bed she's very tiny a little woman name is Gaia Bai and she motioned me to to lean down and I leant down and she started rubbing this um, ointment on my forehead and on my temples yeah this tiger balm and so she was taking care of me yeah she was taking care of me. And as she was doing that, it was as if that, you know, she was dissolving that way of looking that was there and that was getting in the way, yeah? The contraction around, you know, I'm here to be useful. Yeah. Because what's useful anyway? <laughs> yeah. I'm here to be here. Yeah. I'm here to be with you. And you're here to be with me. Yeah, that's what she was, that's what she was saying. And so, yeah, releasing the contraction and letting me rest back into that wider sense of care and love that doesn't distinguish between you know, who's the helper and who's the person being helped. So sometimes we need someone else 
to help us or something else to help us shift that. And often it's something that we can learn yeah, to do ourselves also. To bring in ourselves also. Yeah, so changing the way of looking. Changes our own sense of well-being and also the sense of well-being for others. So let's just have a few quiet minutes together to bring this to a close. So thank you for your listening. And we'll have some time for walking practice and then meet back here for the chanting and meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.